0: What's going on everybody? Wesley Shoemaker, Aaron Parker, back to you today with another episode of the Blue Gold Sports Podcast. Today we're going to talk a lot about the end of the West Virginia football season, uh, talk a little bit about the transfer portal stuff going on, new AD here in Morgantown, as well as get into a little bit of hoops. So with that, we give you the Blue Gold Sports Podcast. Thursday everyone Wesley Shoemaker and Parker back to you today uh it's been a while since we last came with you that's kind of a fault of mine I had a computer issue then Thanksgiving and then here we are December 8th and we are now in the full stretch of basketball season West Virginia five and seven finish on the year for football so we'll get to that first before we get into hoops Aaron first off with you how you doing today and uh just kind of give your thoughts on the way this football season ended for West Virginia.
1: I'm doing well, Wesley. And you know, as a Mountaineer, um, you know, as a Mountaineer fan, you gotta be happy and pleased with how the you know, how the team fought. Um and came out and won in Stillwater. I mean, the Mountaineers hadn't beat Oklahoma State since twenty fourteen, since the Clinton Trickett days. That was a road win and they haven't done that since and, and they went went out there and um and they got it done. Um I think Nico Markiel played a pretty good game, but I was really impressed with Jalen Anderson. Four star back kind of got buried in that depth chart um with, you know, CJ Donaldson merging Tony Mathis being a back that was here last year. Um And Justin Johnson has talent too. So he kind of got, kind of got buried on that depth chart, but he shows how ta- he showed how talented he is Um and he's going to be a piece for the future. So I like that.
0: Yeah. For me, I was really impressed with the way they kind of just kept battling I feel like you could have rolled over, said, oh, Saturday after Thanksgiving, nothing to play for, on the road, raining, crappy weather. Like, it just had all the signs where you could just roll over, lay a dud, and no one really would think second of it. But this team fought. They battled. They played a close game. Defense played pretty well, I'd say. Uh, Conditions obviously helped. Oklahoma playing their backup quarterback, obviously. Oklahoma State, excuse me, playing their backup quarterback obviously helped. But then again, West Virginia was also playing technically their backup from the beginning of the year and then ended up playing their third string with Nico playing. So things kind of gave on both sides, in my opinion. But in the end, you got the win and you got a road win in the Big 12. And if I'm not mistaken, that's the only one they had this year in the Big 12. So Kind of cool to get that done in that in that environment, that place. Yeah, it wasn't the same normal crowd that you have there in Stillwater, but still they had, I think, a 14-game home winning streak heading into that game. And Mountaineers came on the road and took it to them and beat them. So Jalen Anderson had two 50 plus yard touchdown runs. We'll get into the running back room in a little bit here. But big news, obviously. We tried to we tried to podcast about this, just couldn't really get it done um, with uh, no computer situation. But Shane Lyons, the West Virginia University athletic director, last month he was let go. Uh, this week on Monday, Ren Baker, from previously from the University of North Texas, was officially introduced. And to me, he seems like he really wants to try and take this program forward. Program as a whole, I mean, West Virginia University Department of of, of Athletics. He is a very big fundraiser. He is uh, known for his fundraising efforts and how he has gotten uh, big-time contributions. But a couple big things he might be dealing with during his tenure is a decision on Neil Brown and then a decision on possibly how to replace legendary Hall of Fame head coach Bob Huggins. So, like, he certainly might have a very full plate and might decide the next 20-ish years for West Virginia in football and basketball depending on how his tenure goes. So if he's here for the next six, seven years like Shane was here for six, seven years, I would suspect that he's making a decision on who replaces Bob Huggins and I would suspect he's making the decision on the next football coach.
1: Yeah, I mean it's, it's a big time, uh, it's a big time job he's got. Um, It's a big time hire and you know it's, it's kind of hit or miss sometimes but with this guy um, a lot of positive feedback from the North Texas community kind of build up that program. I mean, a ton of uh, conference championship appearances and titles um, in the CUSA across all sports. Um, he got that, he got North Texas to join the AAC. That's coming either next year or the year, year after
0: year. Upcoming to year. like
1: North Texas, man, a couple of years ago, you tell me they're in the AAC, I, I would tell you they have no business in that conference. So I think that's a big move per as far as power, or not power five, but group of five um Teams North Texas has, you know, kind of elite facilities for that for that level. Uh, I think he was a big part of that. So, you know, he's got a good track record. But, you know, it's always a big step from a group of five to power five, especially when you go to a Big 12 conference, um, you know, where you're led by Brett Yormark and you're dealing with, you know, um, you know, these big time teams and you're trying to compete against conferences like the Big Ten and the SEC. So, um, you know, he's got he's got big shoes to fill. And yeah, when when it's time for Huggins to retire, and um, Baker's probably going to be the guy that makes that hire. I think personally, the way the football team finished this past year uh, at Oklahoma State, the way they showed their res- resiliency and, and how much talent they have on that roster, I think I think that forced you know Baker to, not Baker but Gee and and the West Virginia administration to to keep Neil Brown, bring in Baker, um, and have them pair up and and create a good relationship because there's a lot of talent here. And if Neil Brown goes, all that talent goes. And I don't think they wanted to dump that on Ren Baker.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's any reason for them not to keep Brown here, in my opinion. I just think that when you have a finish to a season like you did where you were, what, two and four here, and you had to win four of your last six. In fairness, your last six were pretty tough. The Big 12 was tough this year, Um you had to win them to become bowl eligible, you couldn't quite get there. But in fairness, you played Kansas State, who just won the Big 12 cha- championship. Like, you played them tough at home, and if a couple things go your go your way there, you're, you might have a chance to beat them there. And then you obviously go on the road to Stillwater, win that game, at home against Oklahoma. Like, he beat Oklahoma when so many teams before him couldn't. Uh, I think there was reasoning to keep Neil. I think, especially with this recruiting class, like, I get the argument where people say, "Oh, he still has the same kind of level of recruiting class as other coaches in other seasons previously have had." But to me, when you have that top end talent, when you have guys like big name guys, Rodney Gallagher, for example, because he can come in and he can be a difference maker in his first year. Like, comes September up at Penn State, Rodney Gallagher can be a difference maker for this team. And we'll get to the we'll talk about transfers and wide receivers and where kind of that shakes out in a second. But for me. Keeping his talent, keeping his recruiting class, that's a big deal. And I believe Gallagher did say that he was kind of waiting and seeing on the future of Neil Brown. And so to me, it was a good decision for them to keep him. One problem I do have, um, we'll, we'll go to this President Gee quote right here. He kind of, I think, had to have misspoke uh, at Ren Baker's introductory press conference Monday. He was in attendance and he said, quote, one of the things I started realizing is we really did put coach Brown in a very challenging position because we played two power five teams right off the bat. Hold on, we'll get to that in a second. And then he finished the quote saying the recent process came out noting that we had the toughest football schedule in the country. The fact that we've gone five and seven in a very competitive environment is something I take a lot of pride in. So let's unpack that uh, for a second. First off, Him saying, playing two Power 5 teams right off the bat, okay, you did it almost every year because you've decided to start stacking your non-conference schedule. And obviously, there's two sides to this, in my opinion. There's the side of this that says, well, West Virginia wants to play Penn State, Pitt, Maryland, these types of schools to kind of bring back old rivalries. But then again, it's saying, wow, if we have to go on the road to Maryland, Pitt, and Penn State and back-to-back years to open our season – That's a hard way to start off 1-0. I don't care the talent level of either of those three teams. It's hard to win games on the road against quality teams, especially in rivalry games, especially in week one of the year. So to me, that's one thing. Uh, Keep going there. Like You were one of two schools in America, the other Colorado, who had one win this season to play 11 Power 5 games. So you have control over your schedule, and – now that the college football playoff seems to be rewarding teams that have one loss, like take, take Oregon, for example, Oregon finishes a three loss team. If they don't play Georgia week one, they're probably still in the conversation until they get that, that last loss against Oregon state for the college football playoff, because then they don't have that loss. So a quality loss is still a loss. And when you're wearing this era of the college football playoff and where Everything is the, – the, the margin of error is so small. It doesn't make any sense for a program like West Virginia to play those 11 Power 5 games.
1: It doesn't. It does not set you up for success. And, you know, the Big 12 is is tough year in and year out. I mean, I know Texas and Oklahoma are moving on, but those two are usually staples. Uh, Oklahoma State is usually a staple. But then you got you got a team like TCU, they're a wild card. I mean, this year they're in the college football playoffs. Um a couple of years ago, maybe they're mediocre. And a couple of years before that, maybe they're awesome. So you got teams like that. Texas is one of those wild cards where they're you know, super talented. One year they could be mediocre, one year uh, they could be a top of conference kind of thing like that. Texas Tech is good too. So I mean, you're playing that year in and year out. And I, I understand wanting to bring back old rivalries, but if two of your three non-conference games that you get are gonna be super challenging, you play at Maryland in 21, you go there and lose by a touchdown. Um, you know, was by a touchdown this year
0: on the road up yeah. bit. Like
1: yeah, barely lost to pick, gonna have to play them at home next year, barely scraped out a win against Virginia Tech in twenty-one. Um, you're looking at playing, you know, teams like Penn State, um, Alabama in five or six years. I mean, you're not setting yourself up for a ton of a ton of success when, you know, if the goal to make the college football playoff long term is to get a, a one loss season with maybe a quality loss to a good conference opponent. You're not putting yourself in a good position to get that and obtain that goal. And it's already harder when you are West Virginia trying to compete with the Georges of the world, um, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Texas for, you know, a a playoff spot. Um, You know, you're super behind of the pack anyway. So to schedule that year in and year out makes it tough.
0: And by no means am I trying to say that I think West Virginia is a playoff contender at all. And I'm not trying to say that they, Act like it. I'm just saying that if your ultimate goal is to try and win a national championship, that's your path. It's the college football playoff. And you're not setting yourself up for success by playing a team like Penn State on the road week one, whose only two losses were to Ohio State and Michigan, two teams that are in the playoff. And one of them was on the road, one of them was at home. And then that yeah. Ohio State game at home, they were in the lead until like eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. So that's the kind of Teams we are dealing with. Like Penn State could very well be ranked in the top 10, top 15 when West Virginia rolls into there in next September. So to me, it just doesn't make sense. Like, okay, I get it. Have one, yes. And then play a group of five team and play an FCS school. And then bam, I think you're ready for conference play. And another flip side to it is that the Big 12 conference schedule has no breaks. The SEC, you get that one week in November where you have a break. Big 12, you have to play nine games in a row, no breaks. And so that like it's hard to go through that TCU. They almost stumbled and then they ended up stumbling in the big 12 championship. So it's hard to do this, this gauntlet, if you want to call it that of a nine game regular season. And then if you can make it to the big 12 championship, have to beat one of those teams that you already played and maybe conference realignment and adding these teams helps that out because you're not playing everyone every year. But to me, it's just silly to stack your non-conference schedule when you're only putting yourself at a disadvantage because you're giving yourself a higher chance of a loss.
1: Yeah, and it's just so hard to to gauge this because these schedules were made years ago. Um, And obviously the administration didn't know the situation we'd be in here going into 2023, but conference realignments are moving in a different direction. Like you said, there's going to be divisions. Um, You're not going to be playing the same team every single year. Um, But that's that's not where we're at right now. Where we're at right now is we're playing, you know, Texas Tech, TCU, Baylor, Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. All those teams, we're playing them every year. Um, And you're adding two tough Power Five um, non-conference games every year, basically. And usually where we're at right now, one of them's on the road every year um, against a good team. You know, Virginia Tech obviously wasn't great this year, but they're a good program. Um, You go to Pitt this year, too, uh, and you go to you go to Happy Valley next year. Um, So that's the position we're in right now, maybe a couple years down the road um, when you get divisions. Maybe maybe this team and this program will be set up for more success. But right now it's um it's tough. Um and the schedules administration made a couple years ago aren't really paying off. Um so I don't know. I if, mean,
0: this team's supposed to go to Tuscaloosa in like 27. Like that's they gotta get rid of so that. Crazy to me. I get you get the home game out of it, but you're probably not gonna win either of those games. If you go to Tuscaloosa, you're gonna get beat by three touchdowns at least, most likely. So And that just just doesn't make sense. Alabama doesn't lose at home even to the best teams in the SEC. What makes you think you have a chance at winning when you're West Virginia and you just went five and seven, six and six, and six and four in the last three years? Like, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I get they schedule these things like a decade out, but I don't know. That's, That's just my piece on it. Moving on a little bit, transfer portal madness. I feel like a lot of fans thought that. The way this season went, five and seven, you're gonna see a big, big jump for a lot of West Virginia's top-tier guys. And we are three days into this now, three days into this portal cycle now. Um, and we haven't really seen that. And I think it's a good thing for the West for West Virginia. A couple highlights though, JC Daniels is entering the transfer portal. Um, Bryce Ford Wheaton, Sam James, two wide receivers. They're both uh, foregoing their final year of eligibility, but they've both been here since 2018. They're going to enter the draft. And then uh, Will Crowder, uh, he was in the quarterback room, just couldn't find the field, understandable. He's transferring. Michael Laughlin, he's had three season-ending knee injuries. I think a fresh start's best for him and all parties involved there. So I'll start here, Aaron. For me... I still think you're going to get one of those four backs that we talked about earlier, whether it's Jalen Anderson, Tony Mathis, Justin Johnson, CJ Donaldson. There's just not enough. Like you have too many mouths to feed in my opinion, in that running back room and add in, you're getting, I think, Jaheem White uh, who's a three-star running back from Pennsylvania. He's coming here as a true freshman next year. So that's five legit guys. And that's just too much. For me, in my opinion, I just think that that's not sustainable. So, if it were me, I would expect one of them to transfer. I think West Virginia has probably put a priority on retaining CJ because he was a true freshman and he did have a breakout season. But it would not shock me if Tony, Justin Johnson, or even Jalen Anderson, one of the three left, or even CJ, to be to be fair.
1: Yeah, in this in this college football climate with with NIL money, I mean, I'm just. I'm afraid CJ is the one that goes, and you know uh, that's just that's just a guess. Obviously, he hasn't, um you know, said anything towards that. But I don't know. I'm afraid a a big bidder like USC or Miami or somebody somebody with lots of money they see a big back, a true freshman, a big back that's not some you know fourth and one power back, a big, big back, back that can get run. downfield. He can get downfield. Um wow. He was. You know, I'm not playing favorites, but he was the one that, you know, that I got a lot of enjoyment out of watching this year. Um, unfortunate injury with the head injury, unfortunate injury with a lower body injury. Um, but I'm afraid he might be the one that goes just because he, you know, true freshman, he might have um a lot more stock, but there are so many mouth to feed mouths to feed. Um, I don't know. I really liked what I saw out of Jalen Anderson. I think Justin Johnson was was very um underrated this year. So I don't know, but I agree with your point. There's four guys there. You're bringing in another one. How are you going to retain all of them? I just – I don't see how you could, um, but you don't want to see any of them go, so it's a tough spot.
0: Yeah, Mark Juan Rocker, who was already in that room but obviously didn't see the field, he entered the transfer portal too, so that's one one already gone. But I just feel like there's just not enough touches to go around, and I think all of them have shown the ability to – be a starter or a two back in, in West Virginia's offense. And at some point when you know that you can meet expectation level, you're going to want to go and prove that. And so that's why I think one of these guys ends up transferring.
1: Yeah, I think that as well. And, you know, like you said, they they've proven that they can be a starter or two back for this WVU team. That's a, you know, a power five, big 12 operation. So, um, you know, you don't want to enter the transfer portal and end up, somewhere like Akron or Old Dominion. Uh, These guys are more talented than that, in my opinion. Um, I've seen it from all of them. Um, You know, Justin Johnson, I've I've seen his cutting ability. He's fast, he's quick, he's shifty. We saw, you know, Jalen Anderson in one game there. And you know what you're getting from C.J. Donson and Tony Mathis is a good back. I think all these guys are more talented and and better than, you know, like a group of five school. Um, So, I don't know. I don't know how many um, schools they'll hear from. Um, If they would go to the portal, but they've all proven that they can be that one or two back here at WVU. So why not? um, They can do it about anywhere in the country.
0: Yeah, A lot of credit too to Chad Scott, running backs coach here at WVU. He has like I would argue he is the most important coach on this coaching staff, just the way we have seen his ability to bring in talent, develop talent. Like CJ in August was a tight end. CJ September 1st was running down the field against Pitt as a running back. So this room since Neil's tenure has, I would say, been the most talented room, obviously with Lenny Brown previously. So that helps when you have a talented guy like that, but he's recruited well, obviously, and he's developed talent well and developed guys into better backs as they've gotten older. Like Tony, he's, I don't want to, I'm not trying to be rude or anything here, but he just looks like a different runner from the bowl game last year and against Kansas last year now compared to then. So that's 10 months, to a year's time and Tony was really effective this year he had I think like a 150 yard rushing game against Baylor or something like that's really really good and also the offensive line obviously has something to do with that but to me that's really good on coach Scott for how he's developed these guys year in year out
1: it does he deserves a lot of credit um and I think he's you know I think they have a good bond in there um, in that running back room I think they all love each other um, and yeah, I think he deserves deserves a lot of credit. I mean, even dating back to the end of 2021, uh, Letty Brown and Tony Mathis had 100 plus rushing yards. I think that was the first real time. I mean, Tony Mathis had played a little bit, but that was the first time he got he got carries, um, and he looked good. So I mean, clearly there was development um, before even Tony got that playing time. It's it starts in practice, starts in off season conditioning, um, and clearly he knows how to um, he knows how to develop even. Uh, before the season starts so I think a lot of credit to, to coach Scott
0: let's let's keep this train moving here uh it is December and with that means we are in the thick of basketball season West Virginia uh give you a little recap of where they stand right now they are seven and two their two losses are on the road to Xavier this past Saturday and then in the Phil Knight Legacy Tournament to Purdue. And Purdue's now, what, I think top five in the country, something like that. Mm. So Purdue ended up beating Gonzaga and beating Duke out there in Portland. And if we're being honest, West Virginia had a chance to beat them. West Virginia struggled in that game, especially uh, offensively. They really just couldn't find their rhythm. Uh, Seven foot four, Zach E.D. of Purdue was a big part of that uh, as West Virginia couldn't really cut and drive the way they wanted to. But you cut it within four late, And then you just couldn't quite get over that final hump, which it's okay when it's early in the season. And to me, Aaron, I'll go first here. Although they lost to Xavier this past weekend and it was an ugly second half and down the stretch, they kind of just crumbled in a way, especially on the offensive end. If you get Jose Perez back, uh, and he clears waivers, and then you can have that other offensive weapon that teams have to worry about, and then that kind of frees up guys like Eric Stevenson, Emmett Matthews, and if Kedrian Johnson especially and Joe Toussaint at the point guard position continue to get better and shoot the ball as well as they can and are, this team can really make some noise in the Big 12. And another thing before I, I hand it over to you, there's not going to be an, a bad loss for this team come December 31st. When this team starts conference play on New Year's Eve against Kansas State, from then until the end of the season, they are not going to have a bad loss on their resume because the Big 12 is so deep. So that is a really good thing. I think we will find out a lot about this team when they play UAB this Saturday. UAB is a solid team, solid bunch. Um, and although it's in Morgantown, it's it's going to be a good test, a good kind of preview, I think, because UAB could probably – like. Th- if they were in the Big Twelve, I'm not saying they'd do well. I'm just saying they could compete, and I think that competition's kind of hopefully give this team a preview to see what they're going to see in those teams that finish 7 to ten in the in the league.
1: Yeah, this basketball team is good and they're talented, but you know there's a lot of quad one uh, games here for this Mountaineer team. There's a lot of you know ground to make up. Even you know though you lost to Xavier, you got a lot of chances to 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 rebound off that and get good wins. But um, it's such a tough conference that we saw last year. I know. Uh, I like this team better than last year's team. I'll say that straight up, but last year's team was still talented. A lot of talent in that locker room last year um, and they went four and 14 in conference play. Um, So you got to pick them up. You got to pick up games, um, especially when you're, you know, when you're in the lead down the stretch, you can't have what happened as Xavier happen over and over and over again, like it did last year. I can think of, you know, at Iowa state last year when they were up in the final minutes and blew it and it happened multiple times last year, and you can't you can't have that. And credit to Xavier; they're a good team. They played really good down the stretch with um with those players, but WVU didn't have they had one field goal in the last seven minutes. Um, that's not going to cut it. Um, and you can't have that as you enter all these quad one win or quad one you know like opponents. Um, but I don't think I think this group's a little bit different. Um, you know, I don't know uh, that they, they they just couldn't put it together last year, um, and I think at some point they will. But this this conference is tough. So you know, if if you're looking at a tournament seeding, um, you yeah, know, I'd predict this team to get like a seven or eight seed.
0: Yeah, I've I've been saying I think best case scenarios this team kind of gets like a six seven seed and can make it to the sweet sixteen. I think that's the ceiling right now. I don't want to say that the ceiling can't be raised and the ceiling can't be lowered, but to me, that's their ceiling right now. And I'm very interested to see if and when Jose Perez clears waivers how he makes an impact and how he kind of works himself into the lineup because already we're seeing guys that deserve minutes not getting to play. Seth should play more, Bob Huggins said. Um, Kobe should play more, Huggins said. And I think Perez will be another option for this team to go to. And I I think at some point, like, there's going to be guys that just are going to be shut out of playing time just because of the way there there are 13 guys that can play. Um, I'm really impressed personally with Josiah Harris. I think he can really, if he continues to develop, he can turn into a JB type player. And he has probably a higher ceiling than JB considering he is only a freshman. And I really like how he is six, seven can really shoot it. He can handle the ball in the front court if you really need him to. And he provides another element of size. I think Trey Mitchell also provides that element. Trey Mitchell, to me, he is... One of my favorite players to watch just because everything he does seems so smooth. When he gets into that kind of high post elbow area, those mid range shots, everything he does is just so smooth. And he has ways where he can kind of go off the pick and roll and he can continue to go to the basket or can just stop on a dime and shoot. And I think that versatility is something that is much needed. But this team has to rebound better. You like. In conference play, you've got a gang rebound. I was watching some film from the 2018 team, the uh, last year of JC and Daxter Miles, that team, and you saw four or five guys crashing the floor, crashing the boards, excuse me. And I think one of the things that the reason why you don't see that rebounding effort is because this team wants to move in transition. And to me, you have guards that are running out, trying to get in transition to get transition buckets because they like running offense in transition. And so that then leaves a – man advantage if you want us to give give it that on the glass when you're trying to rebound
1: yeah this this team has a lot of talent on the rebounding you know side of the basketball but uh, they got to put put it together fully they got to put it together defensively too but like you said I mean Trey Mitchell he's 6'9 everything he does is smooth Uh, he can play with his back to the basket he can shoot the three ball um, and he can rebound but you know I think he's averaging three or four a game i like to see that go up to five or six. I mean, he, you know, he, he did that at Texas. He definitely did it at UMass, too. Um, and and you want more out of Muhammad Wagi right about now. I liked what I saw out of him in Portland. Um, for some reason, he didn't get many minutes against Xavier. Wasn't really in the game, Hug said. Um, so I think the team will need a little bit more out of him. Um, Jimmy Bell's been playing very good, but, you know, it, it's hard for him. You know, I mean, uh, he played a lot of minutes against Xavier, and he played a really good game. Um, but he was out there kind of chasing the perimeter on defense. A lot of times his man would go to the basket on a cut mm-hmm. and nobody would pick him up. So um, I'm sure he was getting winded out there. And, and Muhammad Wagi wasn't really an option in that game. So you're going to need uh, to put it together on that end. And I think, like you said, Josiah Harris is good at six seven. Um, I saw him last night and he, he kind of looked, he looked smooth out there. He looked like, um, he didn't look like a freshman. He looked like he knew what he was doing. So uh, getting him more minutes, I think will be pretty vital.
0: Another thing to me is guys like Jimmy Bell, guys like Josiah Harris, I think it's just kind of catching them up to speed because, yes, they've played basketball before, but they haven't played Big 12 basketball. And I think, for me, that's going to be the biggest thing to watch is, how do they adjust to the speed of the game when we get into January? Because, truth be told, West Virginia's first two home games of the year in conference play, they're Kansas and Baylor, back-to-back, bang-bang. So, by West Virginia's fourth conference game of the year after they've played four, we're going to have a real good idea of where this team stands. Cause they got two big tests at home in the Coliseum back to back. So for me, there's not a lot of games before then you have three more non-conference games before you get to big 12 play. So you've got to catch up to the speed of the game. And we hear all this talk of, we've got to get better on defense. We've got to get better at rebounding, but clock's starting to tick. You're you're getting closer and closer to this clock reaching midnight. And there's a difference between saying you have to do it it, and going out and actually do it. And I'm waiting for this team to kind of put it all together. And yes, they haven't played a ton together. Yes, this is this last night against Navy and their win. That was only game nine of the year. But something's got to start to give and not just be all talk of we need to get better. You have to actually start getting better at the things you say you're going to get better at.
1: Yeah, agreed. And, you know, I know they haven't been playing that long together, but I think that that trip out to Oregon helped Uh, you play, you know, Portland state, you play a great team in in Purdue and you play maybe a struggling Florida team, but you know, they got Colin Castleton, they got a lot of talent there, play Xavier, you know, know, so they've been battle tested um, and they know what it takes to win um, against these teams. And obviously we didn't see that against Xavier down the stretch. So like you said, the time is starting to tick. UAB is a good team. You know, they were 12th seed in the tournament last year. Andy Kennedy is a good coach. I think he's a former Hugs assistant, so you can't take them lightly. In um, this conference, man, they score. Uh, I mean, Texas, Tyrese Hunter from Iowa State, Marcus Carr, Timmy Allen. I mean, Kansas, Jalen Wilson, Grady Dick. There's so many good players in this in this conference, and they will score at will. Um, and they're they're tall and vertical and long. And so, like, if you're not rebounding, you're not if you're not playing that transition game then at some point you're gonna to have to start d n up um so eventually you, the talking is gonna to have to start you know um getting down on onto the court and you know we're gonna to have to see it start coming to fruition because by the new year I think you're right we're gonna see who this team is um and Kansas and Baylor is a tough home stretch there but you're you're gonna see the true colors of this team
0: and in fairness there's really no easy stretch when you're playing in the big 12 and that's just the nature of it and West Virginia is not the only team like all other teams nine teams in this league have to go through that. And so we will really find out kind of what they're made of. And I'm interested. I think like in a month's time, it is going to be January 8th. They would have just played their Kansas game, I think. So we'll really know about this team. And truth be told, they didn't really have any big wins last year, especially in conference play. That TCU game at the end of the year, all right, like TCU took Arizona deep late in, what was it, the round of 32? I think so. But TCU, like they've struggled this year a little bit too at times. So there's, there's ways to beat every team in this league. It's not going to be easy. If you can steal those, I I keep saying, if you can beat Kansas state on new year's Eve, and then I think it might be Oklahoma state, their second conference game of the year. If you can somehow win those two, you're putting yourselves in a really good position, at least to just make the tournament. And I think, yes, this team wants to make a run in the tournament, but first you got to make the tournament. And that starts with winning your conference games.
1: Yeah, and this this team has so much talent that they'll be able to to win games even I think um you you just got to find it within yourself to win even if you've lost two or three straight because this conference is so hard. I think that's going to happen. You're going to have stretches where you lose a couple straight and you can't you can't parlay that into four straight, five straight, six straight like last year's team did. Last year last year had a lot of last year's team had a lot of talent, but last year's team kept losing and when they would lose, they'd go out and lose again. Um, but they were right there with some of the best teams, and they just they would lose by a couple points. Uh, there was a couple games they got killed, but they were right there against all those teams. And that team couldn't rebound, couldn't defend, and couldn't score in the paint. I think this team has uh, more of those attributes. They can score in the paint. I think they can defend better, and I, I I'm pretty sure they can rebound better. So um, even if you lose a couple straight to maybe te- uh, Texas, Baylor, something like that, um, you know, you just wipe the sweat clean and get ready for the next one.
0: Yeah, you just can't overthink losses, and I think that's going to be the biggest deal. Is you can't, you can't say, "Oh, it was a bad loss," because in actual, like in reality, it's not going to be a bad loss come March. So that'll do it for today's podcast. If you did uh, make it this far, we do appreciate you listening. For more information and updates, be sure to visit BlueGoldSports.com. I'm Leslie Shoemaker, joined by Aaron Parker. We will hopefully be back with you soon. Have a great day, and this is the Blue Gold Sports Podcast.